Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. The Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down with leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow. I believe the world needs more leaders and we're on this journey together. So come aboard on this episode, just a delightful, incredible conversation with Billy Sutton and his wife, Kelsey Kenzie Sutton. An incredible dynamic duo, such a awesome example of a couple who both supports but also pushes each other to be great. So in this episode, we talk about the story of how they met. They grew up in the same town, but their uh, relationship story starts on an incredible journey that actually begins with a with a with a, a, a unfortunate tragedy. Uh, and so we talk about that, how those events led Billy into the world of politics and an eventual 2018 governor race uh, for the gubernatorial race of South Dakota, and then what they are both up to now as they've started the Billy Sutton Leadership Institute. And so both of them are delightful, some really interesting lessons, and a great reminder of the nudges that leaders are given and pushed to become leaders along their journey and how they both nudge each other, but how other people nudge them. So fantastic conversation with Billy and Kelsey. You're going to love it. Let's take a listen. All right, welcome to another edition of the Lead More Podcast. I'm super excited today. We have a husband and wife duo all the way from Burke, South Dakota, Billy Sutton and Kelsey Kenzie Sutton. Welcome, guys. Thanks, John. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. You bet. So I, I, I wanted to save this until we hit record. My, my favorite Burke story growing up as a Brookings kid was the ticker on the Kelloland weather news, right? So like it would come across for snow cancellations. And I just felt like Burke was always canceled for school. <laughs> and once we got to Burke, then we knew that we missed Brookings. And so you'd be waiting for the ticker and like, it wouldn't be Brookings and then it would be Burke. And I was always bummed, but like it was a lot of school. It wasn't canceled enough. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start there. Cause your guys' story starts in small town, Burke, South Dakota, which you're both from. But if I remember correctly, um, your guys' story together doesn't, didn't start then. Or did you, were you, were you friends? Did you know each other? Yeah. Yeah. You want me to, I'll start Billy. Go ahead. You so, tell Kelsey. So um, we, we grew up in the same town, went to the same uh, rural high school. Billy's a little older than me. I was friends, good friends with his sister for a lot of high school. Um, so I knew Billy, but uh, we weren't, you know, doing the same things at the same time. Um, and then I went to undergraduate. Uh, I went to undergrad in Boulder, Colorado at the university of mm-hmm. Colorado. And Billy was still in undergrad at the University of Wyoming in Laramie, uh, which is just a couple hours, a couple hours away. And not very long into college, I had an invitation to come up to a, a football game in Laramie. And uh, I was, a, I think, a text message from Billy. And then I got a follow-up call from his sister, making sure that I would <laughs> commit to coming up to this football game. And uh, I don't know what Billy wants to say about it. I didn't quite see it all coming, but it was kind of all history. After Man, your that, sister was so. looking out for you. She was like your, your wing yeah, person, I, huh? <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed of using my sister in that, in that way to, uh, to get Kelsey to come to the football game. But uh, I'd kind of talked to Kelsey a little bit that summer, if I remember right, and knew she was going to school in Boulder and kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, that's only a couple hours away and um, she might be able to come to the football game. And I guess I, I, we hit it off and the rest is history, I guess. I, I don't know. I couldn't wait to get out of Burke um, at the time when I went to college and 
I was rodeoing and doing all that and kind of just living, living my life. And then I don't know how we connected really that summer, but, um, just talked a little bit and then got her to come to Laramie and thought it went pretty well. So. I guess I, I always figured that I, in the back of my mind, like I bet Billy's mom, like told him I was out there and that I, that they needed to like be nice to me and if I needed to do stuff, but I don't know if that's true. I imagine for two kids from Burt getting to Laramie and Boulder was probably more rare for your high school classmates getting out of town, getting out of state. Yeah, I think I think for sure that's a, a, a more unique experience to go out of state. Um, and so we probably felt it's kind of on your radar, probably. Yeah, if sure. that happens. So. And so, Billy, for you specifically, you were you went to Wyoming because of rodeo, correct? Yeah, that's right. I got a I got a full ride scholarship to go there out of high school. And that was a little bit unique. I mean, um there's not a lot of schools that probably make those kind of offers, but Wyoming was one of those. They were the, they're the only four year university in, in Wyoming. And so at the time they had, they had a lot of resources. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they were offering some pretty good opportunities. My older sister and my mom both went to the university of Wyoming. So we knew the system, we knew the coaches, you know, and, and it really, once they made me that offer, there really wasn't any question. I mean, I looked around a couple of other schools, but I knew I was going to, to Laramie. Sure. And I'm not going to get all these words right because it's certainly a sport I don't know a ton about, but uh, you went there, uh, excelled, I think, from what I hear from or remember from your story, were rising in the uh, rodeo tour and um, kind of had aspirations to to go pro in this sport, correct? Yeah, and I actually was rodeoing professionally okay. uh, for a while. Yeah, because what's unique about college rodeo is you can college rodeo and, prof- and rodeo professionally at the same time. So it's okay. not... Uh, it's not like uh it's not like an NCAA sanctioned sport. Sure. And so you can do both. And I was doing both. I, I think after my sophomore year of college, I bought my pro card and was doing both at the same time. I will say that my uh studies suffered a little bit because of that. But uh when you're living your dream, uh that's really kind of what you're focused on. Sure. Uh, and if, if I'll jump off of that, if you let me, so, uh, that was your dream and you were headed, you know, you were starting on the course to your dream. And sometimes as life does, uh, we get some twists and turns. So, uh, I know your story, but I think for the listeners, tell us, you know, sort of what happened shortly after that. Yeah. So I, I, I got done with my college eligibility in 2006 and I was still in school and I was still rodeoing professionally. And so I was traveling a lot doing, you know, all over the country going to professional rodeos. And so this was in 2007 when actually Kelsey started in Boulder in the fall of 2007. And I was, you know, just kind of pro rodeoing and, but still in school trying to finish up. And, you know, as, as we said, we started kind of hanging out and I don't know, I remember as being like a couple of weeks, Kelsey thinks it was more like three or four weeks. I, I don't know. We could probably get an exact timeline, <laughs> but, um, so either way, uh, we're talking I, weeks, not months, which right, is right. Yeah. Just I know where you're headed here. We're, we're kind of seeing each other. And I went up to the circuit finals in Minot, North Dakota and had a horse drawn there that I'd won a rodeo on earlier that summer. I was pretty excited about that and just, uh, had a life-changing event that day that the horse by the name of Ruby flipped over on me in the chute. I was a saddle bronc rider 
and smashed me up against the back of the chute. And I shattered two vertebrae and had spinal cord damage and was immediately paralyzed from the waist down. I mean, it was a, it was a life altering moment because I had my whole life planned out. I mean, I I was going to make it to the national finals rodeo and be a world champion saddle bronc rider, which is, you know, like, like winning the super bowl. Right. Mm -hmm, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and it's all I'd ever wanted to do and it's all I ever dreamed about doing. And so, um, to have a moment in time where, you know, your, your dreams are shattered, but then on top of that to say, you know, you're never going to rodeo again. You, you probably never walk again, uh, was the, the diagnosis. And that was, that was hard to, to swallow, I guess. Um, but I was really fortunate in all that because I had such a great support system. I had friends and family and, you know, Kelsey was, was there through it all and, and really just stuck with me through everything. Um, really not knowing what my life was going to look like. Uh, but I think that just shows that we had a really, we had a really meaningful relationship prior to that, that, that helped get us through what was a real challenging time. Yeah. I mean, life changes in, in the snap of a finger and Kelsey, I want to hear your perspective because, you know, I don't think, I don't care if it's two weeks or four weeks, still a huge transformation in, in this kind of new relationship that you had what was going through your head and ultimately why did you, you know, you decided obviously to, to stick around and, and stay committed to this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that the, you know, kind of in the moment, what was going on and in your reflection on it over years kind of muddies the water on exactly on your memories and your analysis. Um, in the moment, I mean, Billy and I had been having just so much fun. We'd been having a, a ton of fun. We'd gone to a few rodeos. He'd come down to Boulder. I'd gone up to Laramie. Um, and we were, it was just, it was just, we've, we've, I think, felt really strongly connected. Um, in retrospect, you know, does knowing someone in their family for several years um, before you start a relationship, you know, does that, does that create uh, an, an easier, stronger bond? Um, kind of sharing a similar childhood and background. Sure. Um, uh, but I guess fundamentally, I just in that in the moment, I just knew that I loved being around Billy, and I loved how how he made me feel about myself, and and um, we had a, a great time together. And I think I just remember he really valued things about me um, that were important to me uh, in in terms of um, intelligence and and school and um, academics and, and career. And so it just, I, I never, I never really thought about it. It just, I, fe I just felt my way through it. Yep. Um, and then he ended up, um, in, in just outside of Denver for rehab. And so it was, it was just a short drive, um, to, to be there a lot too. So we, yeah, my first semester of college became a lot about doing school and, and hanging out with Billy and, you know, I think Billy and I probably have different experiences with that hospital or different memories sometimes of the hospital experience. Cause on the one hand, you're having this, this kind of terrible, intense, you know, physical recuperation and, and change. And, you know, you have all these people making you do things that are hard and frustrating. And his mom was there, you know, the whole time. And, um, but at the same time, you know, we were, we were, we were falling in love. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of happiness there for me too. Um, yeah. That's such a good story. I love it. Um, and so I guess, 
I'm sure there was, you know, taking one day at a time, but you know, when you're in those kind of falling in love uh, phases, you tend to, I remember doing this with my wife, right? You start to plan your future. You start to think about, you know, how many kids do we want or like, where are we going to live or what are you going to do? And then obviously Billy's plans change pretty rapidly, but what were those conversations like at those days? Or was it just like, Hey, we're going to hope that Billy can walk again. Or I guess where I'm headed is what, what did, where did you guys think you would be at that point in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, I was, I kind of went into a space of like uh, just trying to find, I mean, it, 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 I had a lot of hard days, but I, I really worked hard at trying to find like positives that I could hold on to um, and try to find like, okay, so this door has closed, it seems like, but, but you know, I, I worked hard at, at rehab and, and trying to um, have hope that you were going to walk again. But at the same time, you had to be realistic, too. And that was a really fine, there was a fine balance for sure. me um, to try to figure that out. And so I really, truly was like taking one day at a time because there was just so much chaos in my day to day of like learning how to do things different and trying to um, just feel my way through like what life was going to look like. So, so my dreams had been shattered, but I wasn't like looking too far into the future because of all just the chaos that ensued for the next, you know, probably at least the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was supposed to graduate that December. I had to drop all my classes and I picked them back up right away in January and went back to school because oh. that was something that I was like, you know, I can grab onto this and try to like accomplish this. I mean, I was a very, very competitive person. I still am very competitive. I just have to find different ways to be competitive than, than mm-hmm. what I used to be, but I had to find something to like accomplish and just take one day at a time to do it. And so I don't think we were thinking at all about kids and marriage and what all that looked like. I think we were just trying to make it through a very difficult time. At least that was my perception. I don't know if Kelsey has a different take or not. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think because you're like having this simultaneous experience of um, being kids, right? In a lot of ways, we were, we were yeah. I was a college kid. I just, I was 19. I just got into college. So we were kind of navigating, how do you, how do you be a, a college age person um, on the cusp of a professional age person? Um you're spending a lot of time with your friends still, you're, you're working hard to get through school. Um, and, uh, and then at the same time, this like rapid acceleration of maturity in, um, in your own personal development and in, a, and in a relationship. Um, so I think that uh, I can see now how some of that, that acceleration informed things about our lives. But at the time it was still very much, um, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, so I was on that path kind of since fifth grade or whatever. So I just <laughs> stayed on that path, did not plan to be a lawyer at Burke, South Dakota. Sure. Um, and, you know, but I do think Billy kind of planned at some point in his life that he would end up in Burke. So, you know, over the course of a few years, we really started having conversations about um, probably where we were going to live more than anything. I don't know if Billy remembers that because um, I certainly had a lot of conflict about that idea. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those are conversations you have to have in those, those early days as you're trying to make sure it's a fit, right. And your plans can, can coexist together. And I think what you set me up perfectly for there, Kelsey, is this theme on the show at, of the lead more podcast is that we often see that leaders actually get 
pushed or kind of nudged into leadership that they don't maybe set out to be a CEO or a governor or a senator. Uh, you know, John Thune even said that on the show recently. And so that's where setting up perfectly for, for you, Billy. So this is 2008. We're talking about when you're in rehab, you finish your schooling. And just a couple short later, a couple short years later, you're elected as a South Dakota uh, senator out in Pierre. Um, talk us through that transformation. Did somebody nudge you? Was there a conversation or was there a light bulb moment? Or maybe this person was on the call who nudges you. I'm not sure. <laughs> not- um, Kelsey was definitely supportive, but I don't think we really ever thought of, thought about it. But. I was kind of supportive. I've become more supportive <laughs> as we've moved through your leadership. I, I felt support. I felt support for it. But anyway, so 2008, I graduate. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I actually uh, came home that summer and then I went back to Laramie that fall thinking that I was going to like maybe get my master's. And I just, I didn't have it in me at that time to, to go back to school. So I ended up spending the next nine months really in Laramie. I was still doing rehab. I had found a good physical therapist. I was actually traveling down to Texas even to do some rehab like once a week for a while and really focused on just kind of like if I could gain back, you know, like what was I going to gain back for function and what did that look like? And I just needed time to figure that out. So then fast forward to the spring of 2009 and, you know, I'm not in school. I decide it's just probably time for me to go home. I, I, I kind of wanted that home support system. And I came home that summer. I started uh, coaching middle school football. Um, I started doing some substitute teaching and just trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do. And then I take a job as like this, this hay association manager, you know, I have ag background. And so I started buying and selling hay for people in this local organization. And it was, it was fine, but I just really hadn't found, you know, my passion really. And I just still wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then um, in the early winter of 2010, so it had been like January, February, somewhere in there of 2010, Julie Bartling was the senator for our district. And she approached me and asked if I would consider running for, for the state Senate. And let me tell you, I had never thought about that ever. Uh, I'd never thought about any type of public service, frankly. And I mean, I, we have some family history there. My grandpa was a senator in the seventies. He ran for Lieutenant governor with Roger McKillops. My grandma had run for office at different times. I mean, we had family members that were county commissioners and things like that, but yeah, I knew it was I in just your never, family. Yeah, it just never crossed my mind though. And I had really taken on this kind of ideal of when one door closes, another one opens. And so I was really trying to lean into that and try to find opportunities from a, what I viewed as a really bad situation that was, was really hard. And yeah. so I thought, you know what, why not? I'll try it out. Um, I was, I knew the value of education in my life and so many other people's lives. And I was frustrated with, um, you know, the lack of, of good teacher pay, the lack of resources for schools in South Dakota, and was just kind of seeing that. And especially from, you know, substitute teaching, I was seeing it, talking to other teachers and things like that. And I just was like, you know, why, why not? Worst case scenario, I lose and I'm still in the same situation I am right now. So, so big deal. Well, so I, I run and 
during that time, I think I, I had got an offer to work at the local bank um, as an investment rep. I, I took my series exams to get that at the same time and kind of phased out of working for the Hay Association. And so I was started a new job and I was running for office and I somehow won. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, we worked really hard at it and we showed up and we talked to people and we, we just did our best and I was fortunate to win. And then I kept winning. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, once I got in there though, I, I really enjoyed it. I mm-hmm. really did. I, I really enjoyed the conversations and kind of the chaos of it all and being in peer and working on legislation and working to improve your community. It was something that I really latched onto and really found some excitement in. And for, so for the first time in, 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 you know, really since 2007, I felt like I kind of had like a little bit of a purpose mm-hmm. and, and I guess just, it, it just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> so well, and I, I, I want to pull that theme out of that story because I feel like, so you worked hard, but you're like, I somehow won in 2010 and eight years later, you're running for governor of the entire state, right? So it's like, here's somebody who kind of, you never, it was not on your radar. Sure. It was maybe in your family and you're exposed to it a little bit, but like someone nudged you to say, step up and lead. And eight years is not very much, right? Like eight years later, you're running for governor, which is just kind of a wild, wild ride. Yeah, it went, it went really fast. I mean, I was uh, 26 years old when I ran for the Senate. And the next thing I know, I mean, I'm getting, I'm termed out after eight years and the legislature had just repealed. I am 22, which I was really frustrated about. And I am 22 was the anti anti-corruption measure that was passed by a vote of the people. And the legislature just a couple months later goes in and just repeals the entire thing and says, no voters, you don't know what you're talking about. I was so frustrated with that. And we get done with session and Kelsey and I are talking and we're like, what are we going to, are we just going to walk away from this or are we going to try to change the system? Mm-hmm. And, and that's when, you know, so really it was the actions of the legislature at the time that, that kind of, I felt like forced my hand to say, you know what, it's, it's time that we offer up a checks and balances and a different style of leadership. Go ahead, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just, I was thinking I became more of a nudger much later. I think um, I, you know, at the time that Billy was first running, we were, we've been in, we lived in a long distance relationship for, you know, six or seven years of our, oh, of wow. our relationship. Cause you were going through, to law school. Mm-hmm, right? Through college and law school. We, you know, we lit. And so at the time he was going to run, we were 500 miles apart. And I think I was mostly hearing like, so you're going to probably come see me less now. Sure. If you yeah, run that makes and sense. But I quickly, um, I, I think you didn't want to it, go to pier in January. No, not really. And, <laughs> and I think I quickly sort of, you know, it didn't take very long to, to catch on that this was, was a good fit for Billy and it was working and, and he was good at it. You know, he was good at it. And then, you know, by the time the gubernatorial race came around, I think we were, we were both very feeling very strongly, yeah. um, a certain way. Well, and for the listeners, that's why I wanted both of you guys to be on because uh, such a dynamic duo in the sense of, of sort of uh, a leadership team, 
right? Like where you guys both are pushing each other as, as, as spouses, pushing each other professionally. Um, you know, Kelsey, I see your tweets on, online about topics and, and things that you're passionate about. And so that's why I wanted to hear because there's so much more behind sometimes the leaders we see out in the public eye, the, the team and the support group or the spouses or partners behind them. And so Billy keeps winning and, and obviously getting more passionate. And like, as you said, getting maybe better at being a politician, mm -hmm. um, the accidental politician, at what point were you like, we need to do this. We need, you need to run. And I know that this is going to be hard on our family, but like, I support you. But what did that conversation look like? Um, this is the way I remember it. I, you know, it kind of uh, is a, is a background conversation throughout, you know, the, the November, um, oh, what would it be? November 2016 election. And then, you know, leading through session in January of 2017. And then I remember after, after session or somewhere towards the middle of session, uh, we'd gone out to eat brunch and we just had this, this conversation that ended in like, I think this is what, this is what we have to do. I think this is the right thing to do. I think this is what we need to do. I have a very strong, I think one of my core values is justice. Um, so when I get, when I start seeing something that feels like the path forward to justice, um, sure. I get pretty, pretty committed to it. And I think, um, I don't know, Billy, how do you, how do you remember that? I kind of remember it being more after session, a family friend of ours that ended up running our campaign was Susie Jones Pranger. And she, I remember her approaching us and saying, you know, we, we think you'd be a great candidate. Um, and she, and she said like, if you do run, I'd like to, I'd like to work for you guys. And mm -hmm. And she, she grew up in our hometown. We knew her, we respected her. And she was just a very intelligent, she is a very intelligent person, a very hard worker and very good at, at everything that she does. And so that's when I, I, we really started taking it seriously. And so then I started reaching out to other people that I thought would be important to get their opinion. And every one of them that I reached out to said, you got, yeah, what a great idea. You should definitely do it. And I, you just kept getting that encouragement. And so then I'm like, well, I, so Kelsey and I talk and she is supportive 110% at that point. Um, now at this point too, we do have a, a young son that we had, yeah. you know, we had Liam in 2016. And so he's a year old at this point that we're talking about this. And we, we ultimately decided like, once you have kids, there is no good time to run. Sure. It's just, is there a better time um, to take on such a massive, uh, endeavor. I mean, cause you got to remember that as a registered Democrat, I mean, it, it's an uphill, it's yeah. an uphill climb. Um, but we felt that I had a, a good chance to accomplish what we wanted to, because I had won in a Republican district in my entire career. And I didn't care about party affiliation. I cared about people and finding common ground. And it didn't matter if you were Republican, Democrat, or independent, I was going to work for everybody. And I felt like I could relay that really well and just be my authentic, real self and that we would win people over. And I think we did. I, I think we won a lot of people over. Yeah. Well, and I, so um, I think that like kind of what we're, you know, like we're saying is we just both believe in the work, right? We, we both yep. believe in it. We believe in it together. And that makes it, um, not easy always, or, or like always smooth sailing, but, um, 
it makes it important enough to both of us to do it as a family. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's very apparent in your guys' work now, which we'll transition to. And I, 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 we have listeners all over the world, obviously a lot of South Dakota listeners, but to, to finish that story, uh, you obviously took quite a great swing at it and, and fell just short running for governor as a Democrat in a very red state. Um, and uh, it's hard in thinking about the last two years, which would be probably the most tumultuous years to be a leader in almost any position, but certainly in public service. Uh, it's, it's difficult not to play the what if game often. And I'm sure you guys probably think that too, what things would look like in our state. Um, you know, we get a lot of headlines these days and sometimes not for the right reasons, but uh, you ultimately, you know, were gracious in defeat and decided to head a different direction. So to your point, Kelsey, when we're passionate about the work, we got to do the work. You then together start the uh, Billy Sutton Leadership Institute. And so where did that come from? Because I remember thinking like, that's interesting. Like, you know, it's very much a, in, on brand to the what this show believes in, but I'm curious who's, who's uh, who, which light bulb and whose head did that turn on? I, my, my recollection is like, it was basically very soon after the election, maybe even the, like the next day or two after the election, we were meeting with our, campaign team and and we were all just really sad right and we were frustrated and we just came so close sometimes i wonder if it's easier to lose by that small of a margin or if you'd rather sure. just get blown blown out and then you know it it just seems so hard and i just remember thinking like i was so excited to serve and i was so i i just i felt like we had such a good chance of winning and I was so excited to serve my state in that role and, and to truly like take that next step in my public service journey. And as we were talking to the team, we're just kind of like, well, what, what are our next steps? And I said, I just remember saying like, I don't feel like I'm done serving. I just, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like I'm done giving back and I want to do something. And somebody threw out the idea of, you know, it, it kind of came from that. We just heard from a lot of people that, really appreciated my leadership style, that I wasn't divisive. I was working to bring people together and we just need more of that. I just heard that over and over again. And I thought, well, well, how can I, how can I help teach people my style of leadership? And that's where the Leadership Institute came about. And it's really evolved since then, even in a, in ways that I could never have imagined, but just really, uh, really rewarding work that so we're doing now. The elevator pitch i think it's been two maybe almost three years now of like how do you describe what you guys do yeah i mean i i think it just goes back to our mission i mean we we work to inspire and prepare the next generation generation of leaders to build a stronger south dakota and more vibrant communities and works and workplaces so that is the gist of it is that we bring people in we we have a lot of people that are passionate and care about their communities they're just not sure how to serve their communities mm -hmm. and how to get started serving and so we uh, require that they take on a community engagement project because change only happens if you actually do the work mm -hmm. and so we get them started on that path we connect them with mentors we connect them with you know our you know our connections and resources to help them achieve something in their community and that's the, I think the, one of the main first steps and to give them confidence that they can be a leader, you yep. know, and, and that anybody can be a leader if they commit themselves and put in the work and the time and the effort. Yeah. And I think also, you know, that we hope that we give them each other, 
right? And so one of one of our great hopes uh, for the cohort is that uh, we try to avoid teacher-student um, dynamics in the in the leadership institute. Um, and we, you know, we do offer programming and we try to, we we're responsible for the programming, but one thing we really want is for people to learn from each other and to build really trusting relationships so that when um, they're stuck or when the work feels too, maybe too hard to go on sometimes for them, that they can um, cut, fall back on each other to recommit themselves or support each other until they're ready to recommit themselves to, to the work that they think is important. And I think that you know, one thing that really comes through the Leadership Institute that um, uh, Billy and I, I think talk about, but maybe not in so much detail is like, we both really love community work. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy and I love, especially me, but, but Billy too, like we love volunteering in our community. I love starting nonprofits. I love projects. I love fundraising. And, and then you get this tangible, you know, thing right in front of you in your community. That didn't exist before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's so to me been so powerful and fulfilling to do to do that community work. And um, and we think you can really in a especially in a rural community in a rural state, you can do that. You know, you don't have to wait 20 years to to make a change in your community in the way that you define community. So um, we like that work a lot. You know, I think it's funny, Kelsey, you said that initially maybe you weren't so fond of Billy deciding to run. And then you sort of became more of a nudger. And now I feel like you are like a professional nudger, right? You guys are like, <laughs> nud- you guys are nudging people yeah. in all of their respective communities across the state to step up, to create something, to lead, to keep going, to, I think you're right about that cohort mentality as leaders often need. Uh, we see, we always see the brave, shiny kind of superhero part of a leader, but every leader needs a good support system or someone to lean on, or when behind closed doors, they aren't feeling as strong there's somebody there for them. And I hope over the last couple of years that we've shared that with people because, you know, um, we've, we, one thing Billy and I've done together is put, put away dreams multiple times, you know, Billy put away his rodeo dream. Um, then we put away the, the 2018 gubernatorial race dream. And then, um, in 2020, we, we put away the dream of our daughter. And so we've tried to really be, um, vulnerable with our cohorts too about what walking through the valleys feels like and what what failure feels like and um and how to how to how to be a leader through those those hard things too yeah it's really powerful stuff um so we sort of track these journeys and these phases i want to take a chance to ask you guys of each other so i want you to describe each other's leadership style because you both are leaders in your own respective ways you're of course mentoring and shaping other leaders. So let's go Kelsey first. How would you describe Billy's leadership style? Yeah. Okay. I thought like I might have to do this. And I think that this uh, is, I hope I get it as, as right as I want to, right? Because I think I personally learned so much from Billy um, watching him in the legislature in particular. And um, he, his, his style is probably often seen as gentle. You know, he, he is a, he's a gentle leader. Um, but to, to see how that plays out is so, there's so much strength in his gentleness and in his empathy. And he, um, he can build consensus and respect between and with people that, um, I just don't know how many people could, you know, like I, it amazes me and makes me a, a better person and a gentler person too. So I don't think Billy would describe me as gentle probably. Um, <laughs> 
Um, and so he's, you know, he's steady and, and reliable and gentle and, and humble. Um, you know, he always is listening, not only to, to people he might serve, but also who, you know, like his team and, and people around him. And um, I think he, that that's how I would uh, describe his style. Yeah. That's good. Billy, what would you say about Kelsey? I think what I, what I take away from is she just a go-getter. Like when she, cause she puts in the time and research. So she's very diligent in like her background. You know, she, she wants to know the details and what, for instance, a project is going to look like. And then once she latches onto it, like look out because she's going to put in the work and the time to get it done and make sure that it gets done. So just an absolute go-getter that uh, will, will take on anything. And, but once she takes it on, uh, she doesn't quit. And, and that's really, that's really how things get done. I mean, and so she's just a very effective go-getter is, is what, what I've really appreciated. And I don't know, she's just so strong in, in how she does that that it's hard to say no, uh, very hard to say no. <laughs> I do probably make it hard to say no, is one of my, one of my leadership skills. <laughs> so I'm curious, those two, those, a lot of your descriptions feel like things that just, um, probably describe you guys as people, which makes sense that you would lead like you are as a person. So some of those, I think you've probably been since childhood, but I'm curious, how, how did the gubernatorial, gubernatorial race and these last couple of years of the leadership Institute Cause I'm sure you guys are learning from these leaders too. So like, how has, how has that shaped your style? Like, do you feel like you lead differently from because of these last three years? I think I do. I, I think, um, I feel like I've always been a pretty good listener, but I got a lot better at it throughout the governor's race. Um, because you're just hearing from so many different people and it just makes you stop and pause and think more, at least for me, it did. And then the same with the leadership Institute is that, um, these people are just incredible, incredible people that, uh, I mean, I, each class that we have, I'm kind of like, well, how are we going to, how are we going to outdo that one? And then this, these really cool people just come out of the woodwork and you get to talk to them and learn from them and see the cool things that they're doing in their communities. And it just, it makes me really appreciate the opportunity to be around those people and to learn from them as well, because I think I've learned just as much from them as, as they've learned from, from our program. And it's just, it's just fun for me to be a part of the change that they're making. And even if it's just in some small way. Yeah. I think one thing that uh, I, that probably should happen for all leaders is I I soften every year that goes by in how much I think I know about something. Mm. Right. Um, And I, I learn more and more about how I can um, stay open-minded and then I've, we've been through, I think um, enough, challenges that we've learned how to come back to staying open-hearted too. Um, And then one thing I've really been thinking about a lot over the last few years is, uh, is my communication, right? Because I can get very, some might use the word compulsive to describe my go-getterism, right? And like, (laughs) and, and I'm going to get something done and find a way to do it. Um, But sometimes I don't bring everybody along for the journey when I do that. And so I think really taking, uh, Sometimes when you're having a roadblock, maybe the person's a jerk, maybe your idea is not that good, but lots of times you can take responsibility for your own communication in a way um, that if you'll, if you'll take down the pride, it says, 
why am I having this stumbling block and how can I be a better, more persuasive communicator to build more consensus and understanding around this issue I think is important in this change I want to make. Yeah. Um, and I think that's made me a lot better, a lot better leader over the last few years. Yeah. That communication piece, uh, how we treat people, what we say, the words we use, all of that is so impactful to how we lead. Sometimes gets thrown away a little bit too lightly. So mm-hmm. with those lessons, yeah. Billy, Billy, I'm curious, um, you know, and our state looks really different than it did maybe three years ago, just because of the state of the world, the state of our state. If you ran today, would, would you run differently? Would it look differently? Like what, how would it change based on your message from then? I I would just run as me the same thing I did. I mean, I, I ran as my authentic self. And if I ever do run for office again, it's not going to change. I mean, I'm, I am who I am. Um, and if people value that, then, then I will win. And if they don't, then I won't. And I'll just keep growing and learning and doing my best for my state and my community in whatever role that I'm in. And just remember that when one door closes, another one opens. And that's exactly what happened with the governor's race is we'd have never started mm-hmm. this leadership institute had I not lost the governor's race. Never. We would have been so focused on really important work for the state. But we are still having an impact, I think, in in ways that we probably won't know for a long time. Uh, planting, planting little seeds. And that and that's and and I'm okay with that. And and in fact, I'm happy about that. I'm thrilled about that. And uh I just think, you know, sometimes life doesn't go the way you want, but sometimes it's not supposed to go that way. And you just have to do your best with the hand you've been dealt and try to improve every day. Well, I sort of tried to set you up there and you maybe politicianed your way out of it. So you're, you're a pro. So uh, will we ever see you run again or are we, ta- are we is it going to be Kelsey next time? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I will, I'm not going to close the door on anything in the future, just because I know that things can change so fast. Um, we've had a hard, we've had a hard year. You know, I, we, we lost our daughter in July of 2020. Um, and that was a really horrific, horrible, um, horrible deal in how that went and just the sadness, you know, from so much hope to so much sadness. And then, you know, I've lost both my grandmas in the last year that, we're really the matriarchs of each side of our family and just incredible, incredible people. So it's just been hard to work through all that. And it's been a big challenge. I will tell you that I encourage Kelsey to run for anything and everything every day. So I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a <laughs> professional, professional nudger too, I love it. because I like to take credit that I kind of got her to run for the County commission. And she was the first woman elected to the County commission in Gregory County history. Uh, so I, I'm kind That's of awesome. pretty good. At nudge, I'm pretty good at nudging too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he is good at nudging. And it is uh, even even that example is is just another example of that was 2016. Billy had been in the legislature for you know a few terms. And I still didn't see myself as someone who should run for the county commission. I have a law degree and a and a master's degree. I mean, I just you always you as a leader, you should always be nudging other people to be leaders mm-hmm. because so many people do not see themselves that way, even when it seems super obvious to you, right? Um, so yeah, I think Billy has a lot of gifts to share, uh, as a leader still, and we don't know what that looks like. I certainly think I have a lot of good ideas all the time. I don't know what that looks like, (laughs) um, but stay tuned. Well, I love, I love your, uh, 
I love your guys' support for each other, both as individuals, but also as a couple, but also the way that you don't, I, I, it strikes me, you don't um, settle for just being, you know, who you are today. Like we're going to keep pushing each other to be better uh, is in our careers, probably as a mom and as a dad, as a husband and a wife. And so I think that's super inspiring and I definitely admire that in you guys. Um, okay, cool. So let's finish with a little bit of rapid fire. Uh, just as we close out to learn a little bit more about you guys and you can both answer these questions. So we like to ask leaders, um, what's a book that you maybe recommend most, maybe a one that you gift to people, fiction, nonfiction, Kelsey, you go first and we'll do Billy. So I've thought about this. I can't, I mean, I am a big Brene Brown devotee and I really did read rising strong at a time in my life that was important for me to read rising strong. Um, you know, if we talk any about self-care, I've actually part of self-care has been moving away from personal development literature sure. and uh, into more fiction. And I've, I've had uh, an amazing time reading some very cool fiction. So recently some, some great fiction I read uh, there, there by Tommy orange was fabulous. Um, I like YA Firekeeper's daughter was really good. Um, and I think that I've always liked historical fiction because I do like politics. So I love yeah. to read about, about Queens and uh, monarchies, but cool. Um, yeah. Billy, what would you say? You know, you're pulling it up here. No, <laughs> I, um, I have a book that I think, I, I don't know, this book has spoken to me in a weird way about like, I, I just find it really interesting to hear about like messaging and how that affects people's thought process. So there's a book that I read a long time ago called Don't Think of an Elephant. That's just really interesting about how, how messaging affects and people's mindsets and what they think about because when you hear don't think of an elephant what do you think of you think of an elephant so it's about like how you talk about things really um affecting people but the one that i'm reading currently that i've found interesting in that vein it's called cult of glory and it's about like the history of the texas rangers okay I'm a history guy and history buff. Like I, I just find history very interesting, especially like Western history, you know, like um, just that, that old, uh, old style. And I grew up, you know, on a ranch with, you know, John Wayne is somebody that I watched a lot of his shows. And anyway, um, what's interesting about cult of glory is that we're told the story about who the Texas Rangers were. Um, but that story maybe isn't exactly accurate. So the, the messaging that is used by that organization throughout its history has really changed the actual events that occurred because it was pretty brutal and, and pretty ugly towards uh, different factions of people at different times, the, the Texas Rangers, um, uh, you know, law enforcement organization. Sure. Sure. And, but when we when but when most people think about the Texas Rangers, they think of this, like, you know, white knight come to save the day, but the messaging has, has Changed. told a complete, yeah, sure. it's, it, they, they've told a different story of who they are as an organization. And it, it changed the way people think about them. Yeah. And it just kind of runs our, in that same vein. Back to our communication point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So how do you guys like to unplug or de-stress, right? I've been asking this show started in the middle of a pandemic and you know, we're probably still in it. So uh, you have a son, young son, Liam. Is it something that you do together or do you do something individually? Uh, we'll go Billy first this time. Uh, for me, I think it's, we, we like watching, we really like good TV shows. 
Um, so we like watching shows together to kind of um, connect. We, we like to find shows that we both really like a lot. So we're big Game of Thrones fans and, sure. you know, Vikings and, and things like that. So um, kind of those history excitement shows is kind of what I'm into. But we we watch a lot of different shows together. And that's how we kind of, um, you know, find some connection in a, in a wild world. The- little guy down to bed and you need to yeah. do, talk yeah. about your day a little bit. Yeah. My wife and I do that. Mm-hmm. Kelsey, what would you say? Yeah. I would say Kelsey has a bit of a problem with uh, thinking that unwinding is doing uh, projects and, <laughs> and self-improvement. So I've been on a real journey to, to do things for joy. And um, I, I do love to read and I love to spend time um, at the river. I love the Missouri river. And um, I do, uh, I do keep searching for, uh, ways to, to check out a little bit more, but we watch shows. We do, we, we spend time multiple days a week. We get Liam down, it's quiet. And we, we watch a show together and, and, um, we really enjoy that time. Cool. I forgot to prompt you on this one and then we'll finish with the last one about leaders, but this is a question we ask at Lemonly when we hire and we talked about each other's leadership style, but I'll let you guys answer this yourself this time. So the question we ask is what's your superpower? So the one thing you do better than anybody else, which makes us humble South Dakotans, we have to brag about ourselves. <laughs> so whoever wants, whoever feels ready can jump in on this one. <laughs> okay. I, I am, um, I'm a really good writer. I can, I can capture things in words and I can put that to use in a lot of different ways. And I am, I am a gifted writer. Cool. Like it. Billy? I'm not going to say I have a superpower. I just, I, I really don't. <laughs> I feel like I am uh, pretty good at a lot of things and probably a master of none of those. And, and I, I don't know, that's the one way that I'm really like my dad, my dad can do about anything. Um, but I would say if I had to pick one thing, it's probably that I, I really try hard to listen and truly listen and not work to form a response. Cause I think that's one thing that a lot of people do is when they're listening, they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to respond to what that person's saying to either agree with them or disagree with them. And I really try hard to ask questions and be a good listener. So it sounds like you answered it with humility. Uh, it's probably your answer, as Kelsey said. Um, humility might be my superpower to a fault. So <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I get that. Um, all right, so the last question we always finish with on the show is who are the leaders who have shaped you? So we, we mentioned a few people that were nudgers along the way, um, but maybe somebody you've studied, you guys both mentioned liking history. So when you think of the leaders who have shaped you guys today, and you can both have your own answer, Billy, who, who would you say? Well, this is probably cliche, but it's just so true with my mom and dad. My mom is such a wonderful community leader, and she would never call herself a community leader, ever. She would never um, view herself that way, but the things that she's accomplished in this community, whether it's when she worked for the hospital, whether it's as a pharmacist, or whether it's just the, the Burke Rodeo, um, you know, the different organizations she's involved in. I mean, there's nobody that I know of that's smarter and a harder worker than my mom, but yet just incredibly humble about it. And my dad has had a large impact in my life uh, from 
just uh, growing up as a kid, learning the values on our family ranch and, and the value of hard work and sticking to something and, and giving it all you got every day. Uh, politically, I mean, I can't go away from this without mentioning Bernie Hunhoff, um, one of the best servant leaders I've ever met uh, in my entire life. The guy is just incredible what he has accomplished and in such a humble, kind, caring way. He would have been an incredible governor. And uh, I tell him anytime I talk to him, I he needs to keep running. <laughs> so that's great. And Kelsey, who are your leaders? Yeah, I deeply admire Bernie as well. That's that's a mutual family affair, the the admiring Bernie Hunhoff. Um I, I will also say my mom and dad, my mom put a ton of books and ideas and into my hands when and head when I was young. And my dad, uh, I, I get to work with him on a regular basis, basis in our business. And um, he has not only played that nudger role, you know, suggested I, I do all kinds of different community leadership roles, um, but also just taught me a lot about um, things are probably going to be okay. Uh, don't worry so much, Kelsey. And um, have you really thought about where this other person is coming from and what their life, what their life is like? Um, and then I would, I'd also say, you know, I, I, I admire my great grandpa and his legacy a lot um, in our community and in our bank. I, I love hearing stories about him planting trees and and taking on community projects that uh, that I think he'd be he'd be really proud of me. I really like Cleopatra and Queen Elizabeth the first as well, but I'm not sure I'm going to emulate Cleopatra's <laughs> leadership style. So. Sure. Yeah. We can cherry, we can cherry pick, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. I, I, some really great lessons on this show. We, we learned about the power of nudging and of course the importance of our communication, but I also really will definitely take away your guys's um, hard lived lesson of that when one door closes, another one opens. And I think that's a, a good reminder for all of us. So Billy, Kelsey, thanks so much for coming on you guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. That was the conversation with Billy and Kelsey the Suttons. Thanks for coming on the show and spending your time with the lead more audience. Remember we drop new episodes of the lead more podcast every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you subscribe on Apple, you can follow us on Spotify, or you can go to www.leadmorepodcast.com. Remember, if you can, leave us a review. Five stars, I guess one star if you want, ideally five, but that helps other people find the show, lets people know they're listening, and that you like it. So thanks so much for listening to the show. As always, take care and be well.